serve communion to this wonderful family. By the way, everyone's invited to celebrate communion. Everyone. If Jesus is the source of all of our lives, how many would agree that that is true? Okay. Does it ever become unsource? Does it ever become unsource? As in, does God give us the life and then takes it away? And what sustains us? What, I'm sorry, I just can't wrap my head around it. Therefore, everyone is invited. Whether they believe or not. I got in real trouble at one church for making it available to everybody there because there were people that you know, were gas and kids who didn't believe and all this stuff. And boy, I got raked over the coals and I didn't care because I saw Jesus in everybody, even if they couldn't. So everyone's invited to the table. There's nothing in Scripture, nothing that says you can't participate. It just isn't there. There's wisdom of having a good mindset, but it rejects no one. With that, I want to read this. This is from the Mirror Translation, and this is beautiful, so listen carefully. When we share a meal together, we declare our association in Christ. Every time we drink from the same cup, we communicate the language of the covenant of grace, which is what our fellowship is all about. The wine we drink is our participation in what the blood of Christ represents. The bread we break celebrates our participation in the incarnation. The prophetic promise became flesh in his person. We are jointly declaring that in the revelation of our inclusion in his death and resurrection, we are now the visible body of Christ. This is what communion is all about. Celebrating and remembering 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that, on, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, could I have you click, Jen? And he said, as he broke this, for this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance Remembrance of me. This whole inclusion thing, that we are participants in the body of Christ, Christ in us, that we're in union with Christ, that's what I love about the bread part. Besides, it smells great. Is the fact that when we eat it and it goes down, it's like Christ in you. It's a declaration of what is already true. And we need that reminder because we easily forget. And then, on the same night, he took the cup. If I could get you to go to the next, to, next one. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, my the new covenant means the old one is obsolete. 
We don't live by that old covenant. We live under the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant of love. So as we hand out the bread and the juice, remember these things. I'm going to ask Jennifer just to play a little bit, and then once I see everybody has it, we're going to do the bread first and then the wine right away. You'll have both in your hand ready to go. Hopefully you can juggle that. If I could have you serve, please. There's room for smiles in the celebration. There's room for laughter. There's also room for contemplation. In taking this seriously, we need to teach our children and ourselves there is a time to be quiet and a time to speak up. Right now, I recommend this is a time to be still and think through what we are celebrating and who it is we are remembering. The bread. The bread represents the body of Christ. Jesus is the bread of life. So as we eat, you can even say, Christ in me, the hope of glory as you eat. It's kind of hard to do with your mouthful, but try. Let's enjoy the body of Christ together as one body. Christ in me, the hope of glory. In the same way, the new covenant, a toast to the new covenant. Cheers and celebrate 
with a smile and say, thank you, Jesus, for this. And Father, remind us of your love. Remind us of the grace you've put into us. Even the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, he writes later that he said, you revealed yourself in him. (laughs) That's bizarre and beautiful at the same time. He had no idea. So Lord, reveal Christ in us. May we live that life out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can just put your little cuppy things on the floor. It's fine. All right, kids, you are dismissed. I think we have a teacher for you as well. And as they're heading out, I'm going to read this from N.T. Wright. He writes, first, we break bread and drink wine together, telling the story of Jesus and his death, because Jesus knew that this set of actions would explain the meaning of his death in a way that nothing else, no theories, no clever ideas could ever do. It is still a mystery. I know in my Baptist days, German Baptist, we had uh, communion, and all the men elders, because there was no women allowed as leaders in the church at the time, um, they sat on this huge table of leaders and kind of people in charge-ish. That's, that's the sense I got. You dare not make a noise. And it was only members that were allowed to participate. I remember that distinctly. I had to get baptized before I was allowed to celebrate communion. I wanted to participate, but I wasn't allowed. But as I grew and began to hear the stories, I realized there's more to the story than what we've been told. And even today, I'm still learning. The story is deeper. There's a greater mystery. I've heard different teachers talk about communion and different aspects of it. Some traditions, they believe the the wine literally becomes the blood of Christ as you drink it, and the bread becomes the body of Christ in a sense. There there are legitimate faiths that believe that, and there are others that say, because my tradition said, no way, that's not possible, and so my pendulum swung the opposite way. You name it, there are many ways to see this, but please realize there's value to understanding other perspectives you do not know and to respect them, even if you really disagree. Don't rob people of their joy. Someone, Paul Young wrote, said this, and somebody mentioned in our Grounds and Grace group that we don't have the right to pull people through the jail cell bars to try and pull them into freedom. We don't have a right to do that. We love them where they're at, and I have a slide coming up in a moment about that. So, no matter what your tradition is, those watching online, if you were celebrating with us, however you remember, (laughs) that's Jesus leading you to remember your way, and it's gonna look different all through the room, and that's okay because you're going to discover traditions you've never heard of as you expand your understanding and realize the the church of Christ is around the world. Traditions we don't get. I love it. All right. Let's say hello to some folks online real quick. Um, Oh, 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 oh boy. 
Okay, we got lots of folks. Howard, uh, he's in Edmonton this morning. Okay, that's different. He's usually in Sorrento, BC. So good morning to you, Howard. I'm glad you're joining in. John Schaefer, good morning. You're likely at your cottage or here in Elmira. And Paula, good morning. We gave you a shout out during our, our uh, prayer time. Uh, thrilled that your husband got a job. She's in Park City, Utah. John and Brendan Kitchener, good morning. Ron Sharon in Waterloo. Ruth Goudreau, good morning. Dan and Alan, good morning to you in Kitchener. Um, Sharon writes, give thanks today for Hope Fellowship and Mike and Lori's gifts so graciously shared with us all. She must have seen the display because I sure didn't do that. <laughs> I love that. Um, Goshia, uh, Robinson and Goshia, he says, good morning to everyone. Wayne and Jackie, they're in, by the way, they're in Georgia. Uh, Wayne and Jackie in Kitchener. Uh, G'day from fourth row from Rod. Uh, Debbie and uh, Paul in Chatham, good morning to you. Alex and Karen in Ottawa, good morning. Susan in Stony Creek, good morning. Abram in Manitoba, good morning to you. Cecil in Texas, good morning. Becky and Wayne and Nancy in Waterloo. Gail says hello in Kitchener. Gord and family say hello. Uh, big and happy Thanksgiving, big hugs. Uh, Bev Morgan writes, good morning, everyone. So looking forward to sharing communion with you this Thanksgiving Sunday. See, this is something we can do worldwide. See, the pandemic hasn't been completely a write-off. There are some benefits we've learned. It's not been great. It's been awful. But I'm going to look for glimmers of light and hope in it. And it's changed Hope Fellowship for the future in a good way. Um, Francis and Ken, good morning in St. Jacob's. Stephen Hayward, good morning from Waterloo. Great to see you online. Sandy Prince in the UK, good afternoon. <laughs> yes, almost slipped. Jim Willard down in Windsor, good morning. Nancy in Waterloo, good morning. Uh, Sharon says, beautiful, Jennifer and Russ, so thank you for that. Love that. Uh, Sandy says hello. And Victoria, good morning. So good to see you online. Let's dig in. Give, give, give thanks. It's not, I didn't say thanksgiving. I said give thanks on purpose. This is something we do. It's an action. It's intentional. But before that, some thoughts that made me ponder this week. I'm starting to really enjoy this section. In silence, God ceases to be an object and becomes an experience. Thomas Merton writes. It's funny how in our church world, that the one I grew up in anyway, because I can only speak from my experience, but I've heard enough stories, God is something up there. And it's the one we look up to and bow our heads and we're unworthy. And sometimes we pray as if we're distant. And sometimes we pray as if we're trying to get God to do something for us. And if we say the right words, he'll maybe bless us. And then we take credit for our wording when he does. <laughs> and yet, God's not an object. It's more of God being experienced in us in a profound way at a much deeper level than just a ritual. Rituals can help get us there. There is value to some rituals. Please don't write them all off. Even if you hate them, it means you've overrun the base and have been hurt by them, or it's become meaningless. But let's find a way to find meaning in them again. For the ones that don't have it anymore, we don't do those. But those that have meaning, we find the meaning. We visit the expression of God's grace in them. We look for the grace in it. 
I like this one. Lots of people believe in Jesus. Been any sports games? Yay! You know, they, I hit a home run. Yay! Or the football. Yay! It's, it's always, you know, God always gets the credit. Both teams pray before the game. May you bless us to kick their butts. <laughs> What's God going to do? I know exactly what God's going to do. He's going to sit back and watch a really good game. Lots of people believe in Jesus. They just love him to pieces. They worship and adore him. They praise his name. They invite him to their hearts and accept him as their Lord and Savior. But not many people are willing to follow him. <laughs> I think it was Francis of Assisi. No, no, it was not him. It was a... Uh, um, somebody said, it's Jesus I love. Jesus I believe, but it's followers I have a hard time with. It was, it was a... Gandhi, thank you. Yes, it was. It was Gandhi who said that. Richard Rohr writes, most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. I grew up with this, absolutely. In fact, God loves you so that you can change, so that you can change. What empowers change? What makes you desirous of change is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. Love will change you from the inside out. And yet we try to make people change by putting rules on them. Law. That's what people have used the Bible for, to make it a legalistic law. You must do these things in order to become. But when I discovered I already was, holy, righteous, pure, forgiven, it's like, what? Chains fell off. They really did. It was beautiful. People grow when they are loved well. If you want to help someone heal, love them without an agenda. Hmm. That's hard. Because sometimes we want people to change. <laughs> and I will say this quickly. With this thought, I don't care what the circumstances are that you're facing, this is for your heart, not for your circumstance. It's very different. Because immediately I can hear the, yeah, but... What about then just sit in the mystery of Jesus and let the mystery of Jesus express a meaning for this for you personally? When you don't understand something, you can either default to judgment or you can default to compassion. Those take you down completely different roads. Amy Grant wrote that. And we do that. When we hear teaching, when we hear of someone's experience or their life choices or of their beliefs, we, we can either judge or have compassion. This is the hardest lesson for the church to learn. It really is. Because one will take you, the judging, from having to be right and take you down a road to be loving instead. That will soften you. Henry Nouwen has a very short devotional that I thought was appropriate because last week I wanted to share, because I didn't have time, there's too much content, a list of these things we are in Christ and things to be thankful for. I will get to them in, in the next week or two, I promise, because I found a way to slide them into the Thanksgiving <laughs> series. So, this identity. Many of us don't know what our identity is, and I thought the wording of this devotional was profound. May it hit you hard. Your true identity is as a child of God. Period. Ponder that for just a moment. 
Your true identity is as a child of God. This is the identity you have to accept. Once you have claimed it and settled in it, by the way, that takes a journey sometimes, you can live in a world that gives you much joy as well as pain. You can receive the praise as well as the blame that comes to you as an opportunity for strengthening your basic identity. Because the identity that makes you free is anchored beyond all human praise and blame. You belong to God. And it is as a child of God that you are sent into the world. What I love about this devotional is there isn't a to-do list. There isn't a list of here's all the things you now need to do because you say you're a Christian. No. Point people to Jesus. Let Jesus tell them because he's better at telling them instead of you. You may have ideas. You may have wisdom. And the scripture is full of wisdom for us of how we ought to live for our benefit. How to be more loving. Some people don't know how to listen to the Holy Spirit, so they need words on paper to help guide them. But you're not supposed to stay in the words. Some wounds that need to heal, like a broken arm, have a cast put on. And what does the cast do? It keeps it in place to keep it safe from external so it can, it can heal. But how long does a cast on an arm typically last? Six weeks? Eight weeks? Depends how bad? Roughly. What happens if you leave it on for six months? <laughs> yeah. It's bad. In fact, Things can go really bad with your arm. It's not meant to be on there long. The word for this binding, do you know what it is in Latin? Relegare. Oh, and guess what other word comes from that that we have in our English? Religion. To bind up. True religion, as we see in Scripture, has value, and it's explained but the religion of constraints are not for us. It is by grace we live and love. It is by the life and wisdom of Jesus. It's his voice we learn to listen to. I need to teach people to hear the voice of God, not to hear the voice of a preacher. Because we don't always get it right. I always tell you guys, don't trust every word I say. Ask the Holy Spirit. I'm human just like you. I'm equal with all of us here. I'm a participant in this church family. No higher, no lower. That's why it's been fun to come down off the stage to hear, and people have said, oh, that's so much better. Said, okay, I've wanted to. We just, we're trying to figure out how to be in our new place. The previous pastor who was here in the Lutheran church had this big stair pulpit they went up to. If you were up there, remember seeing that Lutheran pulpit? He refused to use it. He says, no, I want to be down with the people because there's a projection that the one who's speaking has unique insight, authority, and wisdom that can't be challenged. He says, no, I'm a human equal. I thought, oh, we're going to get along. <laughs> it was beautiful. And I had many wonderful conversations with him. His name was Hans. So give thanks. It's for your benefit. Oh boy, 
So let's start. <laughs> I, I, I wrestled last night and this morning, said, oh, how many can I, slides do I need to delete? Oh, no. Uh, so, Jen, just be ready. When I ask you to go to the You Are Mine slide towards the end, jump to that for me without doing that like I do. I don't want them to know how many slides I have to skip over. <laughs> Thanksgiving versus thanksgiving or thanks-taking. We've talked about this a couple years ago. Thanksgiving, we think, is wonderful because we go to someone else's house and take. We take food. We take the stuffing and turkey. By the way, can you smell that Thanksgiving smell in the air? almost smells like turkey and stuffing. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's in there in crock pots. But anyway, I just thought I'd tease you with that as the morning joy swirls through. But Thanksgiving or taking... Thanksgiving is about agape. Agape is the Greek word for love that means others-centered, which is the nature of Christ, which, by the way, is your true nature and true identity. You are a giver by nature. Some may say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm stingy as ever. I'm Dutch. No, 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 no. That's just your heritage. Your true nature, child of God, is generous, kind, pure, holy, is patient, and the fruit of the Spirit comes from our nature. And I think it's beautiful. The Old Testament is filled with thank offerings. I'm going to share some scriptures with you from the Old Testament, and if I don't get to the new ones, then I'll get to that next week, because this is going to be a, a couple Sundays to, to get through, because I think this is really important. This fits the mental health stuff we were talking about a couple weeks back, of right thinking, right living. Thanksgiving comes from that. It's easy to be in our swirl of negativity, but giving thanks can pull us out of that faster than we realize or want to believe, but only the Holy Spirit can nudge you and sometimes drag you out of that misery. Stone altars were built for remembrance and thankfulness. My favorite one is when they crossed, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. According to the narrative we have in the scripture, they crossed the River Jordan, they, they, the altar stepped down into the water, boom, the, there was a big uh, dam that they walked over with you know, dry land, and then they were told to take a pile of stones from the river and put them on the side, or even in the river, I forget which it was, it might have even been both, to remember what God had done that day so that they could show their past, gener the future generations what happened. Jacob's well is like that. Jacob's well was a place to remember the history of the goodness of God. The woman at the well referred to that immediately when talking to Jesus. But these altars were designed to remember. And we, we sometimes, okay, back to my heritage, my upbringing of, of the church I was in, it, they were so much more about eliminating the icons, eliminating the art. They thought those were idols and we needed just to worship Jesus and you have a cross in the middle. And the symbols were almost gone. And yet, that's an extreme. A pendulum have gone way too far. But it took me half my life, more of my life, to realize there's still value in those images. As I just explored the Orthodox Church, I realized the Catholic and Orthodox Church have a lot of parallels. The Orthodox have icons, images of art about saints that carry a story to remember. 
The intent is not to worship it, but to remember because we forget, especially in the circumstances we have. All of us here, most of us in this room and watching online have gone through some really tough stuff in the last couple of years. And in the middle of that tough stuff, you don't want to be looking at an icon and trying to remember something nice. You're in the middle of your pain. You'd rather deal with it. And yet, Jesus pulls us. says, don't forget I'm here with you. You're not alone. Remember. Remember that altar. I helped you cross that river. I won this battle for you. However, those stories are written. And now we have what we call our scriptures which help us remember and to learn of some of our history written from the perspective of the writers. And they are of great value. Psalm 100 verses four to five say, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues. We sang about this this morning. Forever. Good thing we didn't sing forever, but, you know, (laughs) I thought it was funny. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Okay, let's pause for a minute. The courts. Why is that word so important? We we don't know what courts are. We think, oh, that's tennis. (laughs) Easy. Tennis court. No. They understood a royal palace. They understood a throne. And the courts that were in front, where judgment was ruled, decisions were made, leaders were there, and it's in those courts. Give thanks. Go into those courts with place, the place of judgment. Turn into a place of praise and joy. David got mocked for his ridiculous dancing and celebrating, and even his wife made fun of him. None of our wives do that, except when we dance, but... Here's something going on. She didn't see his heart, and he was just fully intoxicated with the Spirit in the courts. What's your court? What's your place of judgment? What's your place of making decisions? Where's your happy place? That is your court. Go there with thanksgiving. Push out those things that hurt and hinder your judgments on others. May they be evaporated by the fire of God's love as you recognize it in you. 1 Chronicles 23, 30 to 31. I thought this might be a good model for us to, you know, copy. They were also to stand every morning and thank and praise the Lord. They were to do the same in the evening. What a great idea. When do you want to start? Not a single amen for all those watching online. I didn't hear a single amen. Hezekiah said, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. Oh my goodness. There's a lot going on here. See, my upbringing, and I have a hunch for many of you here too and those watching, most of the sacrifices that we've heard of are like the, the lamb being sacrificed and, you know, on, a, on an altar or a, a, an animal of some kind. That, that's the image we have. That's what sacrifice typically means. And we have a number of stories in Scripture that point us toward that direction. But 
Do your own research. It's a quick Google search. It doesn't take much. What are the different kinds of offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament? And you're going to find five or six key categories of sacrifices. This one falls under the peace offerings. A thank offering is separate from all those other offerings. It is a specific one that you get to do willingly. It's not mandated. Tithing, on the other hand, what a fun word to preach on. Just kidding. Tithing was mandated for the support of the priests in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, giving is encouraged, not mandated. Very different. So when we see this comparison of a thank offering, that's like, God, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for your goodness. And I bet you almost everybody here can find something so to be thankful for and just give God thanks. And out of that, our thanksgiving of praise. Even the words we say, the art we draw, the music we play, becomes an act of sacrifice and giving. Even if it's to someone else, like we had music, we were blessed with music today. That was an offering to you to speak to your hearts. They didn't even realize that, and if they did, great. But every single thing we experience here is somebody serving someone else. And if you're the receiver, Give thanks. Hmm. I'm going to have to go to that slide now, Jen. Time is out. It's called, um, uh, it's a poem at the end. It has a blue title. Yep. This next poem I've read before. You've you've heard this one? Yeah. Yeah, it's very smooth. See? Uh, We work well together. It's been long. This particular poem is a wake-up call for you and I to get a perspective reset if needed. I love this poem. Today upon a bus, I saw a girl with golden hair. She seemed so happy. I envied her and wish I were half so fair. I watched her as she rose to leave and saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one leg and wore a crutch. But as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs. The world is mine. Later on, I bought some sweets. The boy who sold them had such charm. I thought I'd stop and talk a while. If I were late, it would do no harm. As we talked, he said, Thank you, sir. You've really been so kind. It's nice to talk to folks like you because you see, I'm blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Later, walking down the street, I met a boy with eyes so blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I paused, and then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? But he looked straight ahead without a word, and then I knew he couldn't hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. Two legs to take me where I go. Two eyes to see the sunsets glow. Two ears to hear all I should know. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed. Indeed, the world is mine. Heavenly Father, wake us up to the blessings that are already 
hours. And when we can't see them physically around us because the trauma and darkness around us is so strong, will you please turn our eyes inward to see the work of your spirit in our spirit and give thanks for that if nothing else can be seen. And then from there, work on us to see more and more of your life in us and how you want to live your life out of us. As we give thanks today, soften our hearts of judgment. May we take a different path of compassion and love and try to understand the way others feel. May your grace and your love be our guide. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.